Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. Aw Yeah! I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragons comic, and read a free sample. Also, Perry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here, and there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always hold on to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. Welcome to a special presentation of Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. In a little bit, I am going to share for free the series premiere of my new Patreon-exclusive spinoff podcast, Beyond Metropolis. For the kickoff episode, regular Digging for Kryptonite guest Bernie Gerstmeier and I will discuss Hal Jordan's wild, decade-long journey from Emerald Twilight through Green Lantern Rebirth. But before all that, Bernie joins me to discuss the just-released Return of Superman 30th Anniversary comic book special. Bernie, welcome back. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me back, man. Fresh off the rack is this book in my hands, and I got to read it today, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yes, this released on Halloween, October 31st, 2023, and we are recording this just the day after. I picked it up yesterday at Aya oh yeah Comics in Harrison, New York. You picked it up today at Aya oh yeah Comics in Skokie, Illinois. So yes, this is very fresh what we're discussing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that we've gotten to do something like this. Even with Death of Superman 30th, I think we had a week, but this was kind of fun. It's like, oh, got to read it now. Let's do it. Yeah, I wanted to strike while the iron was hot. But yes, <laughs> it does feel like we were just here talking about the death of Superman 30th anniversary comic book special. And now we have yet another 30th anniversary Superman special in much the same vein, but structured a little bit differently. And we'll talk about it. But man, death of Superman 30th, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th anniversary, return of Superman 30th anniversary. These events are really making me feel old. <laughs> yeah. And reading and reading some of the Green Lantern stuff as well, like even realizing how old those books are when to my head, they don't feel old, but to the calendar, they definitely are old. Yes, yes. But in any event, I'm glad I am glad that DC is taking the opportunity to put out specials like this and to bring back most of the original creative teams from back in the day uh, to tell a new story and really kind of drop you back in that period of time. Uh, is pretty cool. And this is a very nostalgia-filled yeah. affair, uh, what we'll be talking about here. So, I mean, I'll give the setup and, and all of that, but I guess just broad strokes, big picture. You just read it probably within the past few hours. <laughs> what was your initial reaction to this Return of Superman special? 
Well, and, and like I said to you, I, I enjoyed it. It was fine. It wasn't anything that blew me away, but it was very nostalgic. And also, if you're currently reading Action Comics and Superman and the and the newest books that are coming off the racks, there's a lot going on with these same characters that it is nice to have for everybody a chance to look back as to where they came from, why they're important, and really why they're a big part of the Superman history. No, that's a good point. And I'm actually glad, I'm really glad that I did the recent episode that I did on Dawn of mm-hmm. DC and the Superman books, because I'm mostly current. I'm just a couple issues behind in each of the titles. So I definitely know what you're speaking about. And perhaps most notably, the fact that we have Lois Lane serving as the Daily Planet's editor-in-chief while Perry White is out of commission. Uh, and of course, to see characters like Steel and Superboy, who have very recently had their own miniseries. So uh, yeah, it's... I think it, it strikes a nice balance between being of the moment while, of course, also pulling us back into the year 1993. So we have our framing story by Dan Jurgens and Travis Moore, where Cyborg Superman is attacking Star Labs for reasons unknown initially, but that will become known when we get to the end of the story. Just as a side note, folks, spoiler warning. I know we're talking about a book that is very <laughs> recently released, so I know folks maybe might not have had a chance to read it yet. Yeah. All that being said... And tell me if you disagree, this isn't, I don't want to say it's spoiler proof, but there's nothing, there aren't any, I feel like groundbreaking revelations here. I mean, this is more of a character, you know, character focused thing and a a look back at that period of time. So I don't think there's anything, even for someone who hasn't gotten to read it yet, I don't know that there's anything that we could kind of reveal from it that would ruin their reading experience. Correct. I think Death of Superman 30th had some stuff in there that we wanted to be careful about, but for this, it's really just kind of cool legacy Uh, moments that are connecting to current things happening in the books. For sure. So in this framing device, we have Cyborg Superman attacking Star Labs and Lois as, again, interim editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet is rallying the reporting troops. And she has Ron Troop, who's been going through all of Perry White's old journals and correspondence and whatnot. And he brings up this this journal or this diary uh, that Perry kept during the time of the original reign of the Superman. And that really becomes the connective tissue here, because as Lois is reading Perry's thoughts, we are pulled into these vignettes, these stories that took place back in the day. And this is when most of the rest of the original creative teams return to tell stories about the characters they originally introduced at the time. So we have a steel story by, of course, Louis Simonson and John Bogdanov. There's He Had Me Thinking He Was Superman, featuring Eradicator, written and drawn by Jerry Ordway, filling in for the original Action Comics team of the day of Roger Stern and Jackson Geis. Yeah. I'm torn on this, man, because I love Jerry Ordway, <laughs> and he had left the books right before Reign of the Superman, yeah. so I'm glad that he gets to kind of play in that sandbox. At the same time, I love that Roger Stern, Jackson Geis team, so I, I wish they could have yeah. been part of it, but it's all good. Um, I, I know how much you love Roger Stern. I listened to the most recent episode too about the the novel. So I know I got to read that novel. I read it. I'll get there. <laughs> Do it. So good. <laughs> I'm saving it. I'm saving it. We'll get there. And uh, Superboy story by Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet, and of course Cyborg Superman, uh, written and drawn by Dan Jurgens. And yeah. I got to give a special shout out in all of these episodes talking about the Triangle Era comics. I don't know that I've ever that we've ever discussed this individual. Hopefully he's come up at least at one point, but Glenn Whitmore, colorist Glenn Whitmore, Mm. who colors 
we have uh, we have a different colorist for the framing story and for the Dan Jurgen cyborg Superman story, but the rest are colored by Glenn Whitmore. And he was the colorist back on the day during the Triangle Era, and I feel like he is. I want to give him his props now because, again, I feel like we've been a little derelict uh, on that front in prior Triangle Era discussions. But I feel like a true unsung hero of the Triangle Era, especially when you're talking about four and eventually five ongoing Superman titles that were all working to tell this unified story. And yes, a lot of that goes into the editorial planning. A lot of it goes into the writers working in unison like that. But I think having one colorist working on all of those books yeah. really went a long way towards those stories feeling of a piece. So shout out to Glenn for his work back in the day. I'm very happy to see that he got another go at it in this special. That that kind of brought me back as I'm reading it. That was a big, if you look through the pages of this, it does feel very much like you're reading a 90s book again, as far as um, when you go back to the steel section, when you go back to, especially the Superboy section the coloring in that felt exactly like those original superboy books for sure or the that that era the 90s yeah i hear you and i I think one of the things we said we alluded to this earlier this is different than the death of superman special there you had essentially four separate stories right there was the lead story by jurgens with doombreaker uh, and then the other teams told i think 10 page stories or something or 20 something like that uh, with the remaining characters so uh, it wasn't this kind of single unified narrative like we get here. And I think the thing that I really did enjoy and that I think does does elevate this a bit is that that narration or that journal uh, of Perry White getting his perspective, even though he's not physically present in the present day version of the story. We see him in the past and we hear his words throughout the story. And so really, really providing that metropolis citizen man on the street average person response to these four replacement supermen showing up so that was i guess that was probably my favorite aspect of all of this was the perry white of it all yeah. um anthony how much of like late 70s 80s television have you watched i know that we're we're a little bit different some of our older listeners might make sense have you watched cheers only a little bit only a little bit of cheers okay. but i was a big happy days guy Okay, so and that's a good example too. Cheers, Happy Days, the old Buck Rogers. There were always episodes that they would do, and sometimes they were filler episodes. Like clearly, they needed a gap on a hiatus or something. But this book reminded me of this format where uh, there'd be a narration. It was like a greatest hits clips episode, and there's a like Dan Jurgens in this case started the legacy story, and through the entire anniversary special, it's the same tone, same writing. And it jumps to different aspects, but it had this kind of clip show montage kind of vibe that then gave you some new information. I really feel that if you look through this book and I, and I, I don't know them this well, but every, I think first, maybe five panels of each of these, and I think almost identical to the original books. And then it expanded from there. Like there's some panels that are almost identical, I think to the steel introduction but then it it varies then from that original five panel work if you take a look at it you can kind of notice how it starts the same and then varies oh that's cool that's very cool yeah i get the sense that this has generally been well received our friend michael bailey reviewed it for supermanhomepage.com gave it five out of five across the board i we were talking off mic about this I don't want to be a downer. I enjoyed this. Like yeah. I enjoyed it. It was, it was nice. It was, it was fun. Uh, it definitely look it, 
it called to mind all of those feelings that I had as a kid reading those books. And I think ultimately that's really what it aimed to do. And so in that yeah. sense, it was tremendously successful, I guess. I don't know what more I was, I was looking for per se. So it's hard for I me think- to really kind of critique it because it's, I, I don't know. All I know, I guess what I, I suppose what I can say is as I was reading it, I maybe, I, I, I don't know it other than the nostalgia. It didn't really, I don't know, move me in maybe a way that I, I wanted it to, but I think it did what it right. set out to. Well, and I think, like you're saying, we're not going to learn a ton more about these characters because they're over the 30 years, there has been a lot of new material and new growth and new storylines with all of these return Superman characters. I, I kind of liked it because I didn't have to think too hard. It, it was like watching an episode of television that you've seen a number of times but whenever it shows up on cable or whatever, it you stop and you watch it and it's still entertaining. That's kind of how I saw this read when I read it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair. And I think one of the thematically, I think one of the things that really works about this is where where we land here, uh, this whole business about how how important it was that Superman had set this example that others follow. The fact that yeah. these replacement Superman arrived on the scene. I mean, cyborg aside, who had a, a specific hidden evil agenda, but the rest yeah. trying to do something. And I think it's in Perry's journal that he says, you know, we were all wondering who the real one might be, but what we should mm-hmm. have been focused on was the fact that Superman was so inspiring that he had moved these other people to to don the symbol and step up right. and try to help. Just as Lois was filling in for Perry at the Daily Planet. And it's funny because when I was first reading this, it was like, I'm glad that Perry's represented in the flashbacks and through the journal, but I was like, oh, it would have been good like to have him in the present. But no, I think the fact that, I mean, A, it reflects what's going on in the books with Lois, but also that Lois is doing for Perry what these other supermen had done for Clark back in the day. So I yeah. think that really works nicely. So I think the question that it that I want to ask you because we never really have talked about this. And I think it came up also in the other anniversary special was how much time do you think has really passed between the death of Superman return to Superman and what we know as, as current dawn of DC books. Are you referring to the fact that there's talk, we see smartphones and there's talk of social media in the flashbacks. Yes. And then also um, Lois makes a comment like it's only been a few years yet. It seems like just yesterday. And I'm like, uh, wait, wait a second. Like <laughs> when she says a few years, I mean, that's the timelessness of, of DC comics or comics in general, but it is interesting. We're putting very clear, uh, what's it called? Easter egg saying maybe there were cell phones when doomsday was around. I know that definitely that bumped me for a second. And especially when Perry's talking about how Superboy is trending on social media and he's the social media sensation. It's like, okay, like obviously that wasn't part of the story back in the day, but I guess if we're using this sort of sliding scale, even if it were 10 years ago, because there's some character who talks about being a kid at the time. So let's say, let's even say it's been 10 years there's still been social media and and cell phones in that time. So I guess it makes sense. But I mean, as far as how much time is really meant to have passed again, if that person had been a kid at the time, I mean, it's, we're, we're talking a good, a good few years. It's gotta be a few years. Don't forget in death of Superman special. Didn't Mitch come back 
Yeah. Wasn't Mitch an adult? So now it could be, I mean, it could be, it should be at least 10 years, I would be thinking. No, I hear you. So, I mean, of these four stories, what, I guess, what, what stood out to you? Which, which one or ones do you mm-hmm. want to spend a little time on in particular? I kind of like the Superboy one, actually. I was surprised how much I enjoyed that one. And then Bloodsport shows up. We get to see a little bit of his tele, uh, what would we consider it? The tactile telekinesis. Yeah. There it is. Thank you. Um, and I, I again, I like the throwback Bloodsport character coming out of the Triangle era again, which was cool to bring him back. And speaking of callbacks, Perry mentions how Superboy reminds him of of his late son Jerry. Jerry, right? So it was nice to see Jerry get a mention. Of course, you know, I learned all about Jerry when I finally delved into that gap in my Triangle era reading. So that was a really nice callback. Yeah, and I agree. I think the Superboy one popped. Perry makes two points that that really resonated. Uh, it, one is that this was such a dark time for the characters, right? And, yeah. and for the books, right? I mean, we love Funeral for a Friend. It's, it's where really the emotional heart of this entire, of that entire storyline was, but it was heavy and the characters were mourning. And, and even as readers, yeah. there was, there was a degree of that, right? And then you have this burst of energy and enthusiasm in the form of Superboy. I think for us as readers right. and and for the characters and Perry articulated that. And I thought that was a great point. And then when he equates Superboy to the city of Metropolis itself, yeah, like he's like big and loud and doesn't always do the right thing, but his heart's in the right place. And he is the yes. Metropolis kid. Like he's like our city itself. And I thought that was a yeah. nice touch. I also liked in the Eradicator story, so there's a hostage situation where Eradicator is holding this armed villain, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> trying to extract information using his his typically extreme methods, and Maggie Sawyer is trying to defuse the situation, and Perry yeah. shows up on the scene, and he kind of like sweet talks the the cop who's who's trying to keep him away because he's like, oh, I knew your father, and uh, you know, which I like because you get to see a little bit of his of his prowess as a reporter and getting places right. that he's not supposed to be. So I thought that was I thought that was a cool touch and. Well, and he's getting shoved out finally. Like, they figure out, you shouldn't be back here. And they, like, push him off. He's like, hey, you don't got to shove. And then, um, yeah, and then we find out that everything's underground happening while all this is going on. The real crime is happening underground in the parking garages or something like that. So, yeah, yeah it's, I, it's I, I dig that one, too. Yeah, that was solid. And this deal between Eradicator and Perry where Eradicator, yeah. you know, Perry's gathered some information from from other witnesses there and he'll share it. Uh, in exchange for Eradicator not killing anybody. And Eradicator <laughs> also asks Perry to essentially use the paper to to proclaim yeah. him the new Superman. And Perry recognizes that he can't do that and realizes that probably neither one of them can uphold their end of the deal. It was a nice, it was very, very careful to still give the same tone of the Eradicator stuff from the original 90s books too. If you remember there, like when Superman would take somebody back, he would land them. Like anytime the Eradicator, whether it's a '90s or in this special, he just kind of dropped you. He didn't. He didn't put you on your feet. He just like dropped you kind of midair. Perry's tumbling, hurting himself, but it, it was it made me laugh. It's like, oh yeah, that was kind of like what they did back then. He didn't care. He just dropped off a human and said, "I'm off to do my thing." No, for sure. And then the cyborg story that was hmm. interesting to me. Very little new business there. But yeah. but for you really get a sense of how much it weighed on Perry that oh, yeah. he ran the headline that Superman is back in the form of Cyborg Superman, which ran very shortly before 
Cyborg Superman annihilated Coast City and the 7 million people who lived there. Uh, so yeah. to really, and I don't know, I don't know offhand, I mean, I've now read all these <laughs> stories, but I can't recall specifically that beat with him where he was really kind of racked with guilt over that. And so to see him wrestling with that, and then the other really key new piece here was the conversation that he had with Superman that we get to see following Superman's yeah. return where he apologizes for it. And Superman has a great moment with him, as you would expect him, as you would expect him to. He's like, listen, it's okay. You know, you try. And one of the reasons I'm, I was able to do what I've done in Metropolis is because the paper was here to, to represent me accurately and fairly. And right. this is an instance where what's going on in the world today, I think, gives a new dimension uh -huh. and new weight to what was going on at the time and what, what Superman is talking about here. Because I, I don't have the exact quote, but something about how the news there can be ill intent, it can be weaponized, it can be biased. And so what Perry does with the Daily Planet really makes a big difference. So I, I like yeah. that. I really did like that aspect to it. Yeah, again, I think now we're talking like, like, oh yeah, we really enjoyed all this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her. I was like, well, it was fine. It was nostalgic. Oh no, actually, we really like it. <laughs> I know it was better than I, you know, but look, that's why that's one of the, this is not the first time that this has happened. I, I feel like I can't really think of many things that I came into a recording being like, I really like it. And then by the end of it, I'm like, you know what? It wasn't really good. It's almost always yeah, the opposite. The other way. Yeah. Yeah. So it was better. All right. This was better there than you go. Look at you. <laughs> But then in the present day, right, we find out what Cyborg is doing at Star Labs. He's trying to obtain the genetic material of his fellow cosmonauts uh, from his yeah. original, the original Hank Henshaw story and bring them back. And we learn that. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think the other characters ultimately no. gather that information and they banish him back to the Phantom Zone. Yeah, which is kind of sad, too, where, like, is he... Is he looking for redemption somehow? Like, if I can bring my crew back, it'll make it all worth it. No, it's more, it won't. But he's clearly still torn up and sad about this. Yeah. I didn't know how to feel about Cyborg in this instance because it's like, bro, you killed a city. And it's like, it's yeah. hard, you know, it's hard, it's hard to like, because yeah. there's, there's a part of you that's like, oh, this isn't, this isn't annihilation or conquest. Like, that's not what this is about. He's trying to bring back these people and maybe find some measure of closure or comfort or peace. But yeah. it's like, ah, you don't get that. You just don't get that. Well, and it's an interesting conversation we're having because we're going to talk about Hal Jordan soon. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, listen, thank we'll you for forget. joining me to break down this Return of Superman 30th anniversary special. I... I come away after this recording with a with a far more positive view. Not that I was negative before, but a more far more positive view. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. So if anyone was on the fence about picking up this special, uh, I, I hope you do, or at least read it at some point down the line in, in whatever other form it's available. Because it's uh, it's yeah. a fun read, especially if you have any affinity for the reign of the Superman era. All right. Well, thank you, Bernie. And now everyone, stay tuned for a special preview of the series premiere of Beyond Metropolis. Superman and the City of Tomorrow will always be home for me, but there's a whole world outside Metropolis City Limits. Now, on this Digging for Kryptonite spinoff, a new podcast journey beckons. Hop in the Supermobile as we rocket to Star City, Themyscira, Coast City, Atlantis, Central City, Gotham, and more, examining the stories across time and media that have shaped the icons of the DC Universe.
welcome to the series premiere of Beyond Metropolis, touring the DCU. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Our first stop is Coast City, and joining me to discuss the journey of Hal Jordan from Emerald Twilight through Green Lantern Rebirth is our good friend, sweet, sweet Bernie Gersmeyer. Welcome. How's it going, everybody? Pleasure to be back. Excited to talk. Yeah, thank you for joining me for the debut of this new spinoff podcast. For a while now, I've been trying to find the right avenue, the right vehicle to kind of take the digging for kryptonite approach and apply it to my other favorite characters across the DC universe. And this felt like the place and the time to do it. And Green Lantern and Hal Jordan in particular felt like a very appropriate place to start because Hal, as you well know, was such a prominent figure across so many of the 90s and early 2000s events that we've touched on in our Superman coverage, Zero Hour and Final Night and Day of Judgment. So we've been bumping up against Hal along the way. And of course, you and I just spoke about the return of Superman 30th anniversary special and Hal's road to Parallax and then the Spectre and then back to Green Lantern starts in a Superman story, Reign of the Superman. So this just all around, this felt like the perfect place to start this DC journey. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The, the more we talk about it, the more I think about it. You and I are consistent because we really started reading comics with Death of Superman. The only non-Superman tie-in to that whole series is Green Lantern 46. So when I was reading it, I was like, oh, I have to get this book too. I didn't own any Green Lantern books. That is the only issue I got. So the first character that I started doing a deep dive on after I got into Superman books was Hal Jordan. And I went actually backwards towards like the first issue of Gerard Jones, number one in 1990. And I started trying to find in all 50 cent book boxes, all those stories because there weren't trades of any of that at that point. And actually to this day still, but um, for a very specific reason. For a reason. Um, that is the first character, though, that wasn't Superman that I learned a lot about. Interesting. So did you end up amassing that entire, at that point, I guess, 45 issue run? I did. And then be, that at the same time, so I'm doing that search. Kyle Rayner became my Green Lantern. I got so interested in what happened with Coast City and Emerald Twilight that we're going to talk about that I jumped on and I started buying Green Lantern books at number 51. Oh, cool. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You have me beat there because I eventually became a regular Green Lantern reader, but it wasn't until the Judd Winnick run after Ron Mars. Oh, so okay. around issue 129 or so. That's when I became a regular yeah. monthly reader of Green Lantern, had it on my pull list and all of that. But over the years, I think through though they didn't put trades out as consistently or thoroughly right. as they do now. There were like baptism of fire. There were trades here and there. I definitely remember being very intrigued by the Emerald Knights story where a time traveling Hal Jordan comes to the present and teams up with Kyle. So I had dabbled in the Green Lantern title and certainly I was reading JLA, which featured Kyle. So much like yourself, Kyle was and still is my, <laughs> my Green Lantern. But I'm with, I'm with you, but through Green Lantern Rebirth and that subsequent Jeff Johns run, I really yeah. came to appreciate Hal Jordan. And yeah. I think one of the other reasons why I've wanted to do this, there's just so much about this that's fascinating in terms of the backstory, the background behind the scenes that led to 
Emerald Twilight and what the original plan yes. for Emerald Twilight was, which I want to talk about. So there's that. There's the fact that unlike other 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 characters and changes to characters where there's a plan in place from the beginning and kind of an escape hatch and a return plan from the beginning, that was very much not the case here. And this was also an instance where Ron Mars wrote a lot of the parallax outings but didn't write everything and so it's this weird thing where so much of Hal's story is told by different creators in these big event books I mean again zero hour final night day of judgment it's like so much happens he was a, a regular fixture in these events for that period of time so kind of the way the story unfolded was the other thing that really intrigued me about this and then I guess what I, what I keep coming back to and what seems to be somewhat of a growing sentiment these days, probably from people kind of in our generation who came up more with Kyle, where yeah. I know Hal's villainous turn was, was so controversial and there was an entire group of fans who mobilized against it, the Heat group, Hal's Emerald Attack Team, which later became Hal's Emerald Advancement Team. But I feel like there's a little bit more of a sentiment now where, where fans have come to to actually stand up for Hal's journey as Parallax. And right. that begs a question that I will, I want to pose to you and will answer throughout here where not to discount what Jeff Johns did in the run that followed and it was clearly popular and it's permeated other media adaptations and all that. But there is a part of me that looks at Hal's journey to villain and then to the spirit of vengeance slash redemption as a genuinely compelling arc. And part yeah. of me wonders if, if, you know, sort of returning him to what he was, wasn't a step back. I mean, it, it I don't know. I, I continue to wrestle with this. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times we've had an episode together where we've talked about the term redemption, but I, th I think that's, what's compelling about the concept. Cause don't forget there wasn't any idea of redemption until Jeff Johns kind of said, we're going to do this. Um, it was, no, he's a villain. He's still a villain. Okay, now he's a specter. He's clearly struggling with how the specter operates, but that was it at that point. Um, like you said, there was no escape plan. It's Hal's a villain. He keeps coming back when Kyle is Green Lantern. Still a villain, wants his ring back, and we'll go through that. But, yeah, I mean, the idea, Jeff, I, Jeff clearly was and is a Green Lantern fan and said, yeah, I'm not going to let this stand. We got to redeem this guy. I like Hal Jordan. Let's bring him back. Yeah. And also in terms of the timing here, though, this wasn't part of our assigned reading, but we right. also can't underestimate the value or the role of DC, the new frontier, which featured Hal Jordan very prominently, the role that that played in just sort of getting people thinking about the character again. So mm -hmm. there's, there's that bit of business as well. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack with all this. And the other thing too, that I, I feel like so much of what we talk about, and let me just say this now at the outset for anyone listening, is that I feel like so much of anyone's perspective on Hal Jordan in this period of time depends on your age and kind of which iteration of Green Lantern and the Green Lantern mythology you came up with, right? Right. Because it's this weird thing where I, I can now as an adult take a step back and realize, okay, so much of the of Green Lantern is wrapped up in this larger mythology that there's this entire intergalactic peacekeeping force, right? There's this right. entire core, but I grew up with the version where there was one, right? There was yeah. one remaining torchbearer, Kyle Rayner, the alley rat, right? Who 
wasn't fearless, but really struggled, but was able to build himself into the hero he needed to be. And that resonated then and continues to resonate. And there's a part of me that really gravitates towards that. But at the same time, I recognize, well, there's a lot of potential, a lot of storytelling potential in in the larger mythology. So that's the other piece of this too. Yes, there's the Hal Jordan of it all, but there's also kind of this fundamental divide, right? When we look at these these eras and the Kyle Rayner era and the Hal Jordan era of what it even means to be a Green Lantern. Yeah. It, <clears throat> I, and I'm, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves <clears throat> too bad, but the shift into Emerald Twilight, knowing what I know now, and then reading Green Lantern 1 through 45, and then even looking at some of the Bronze Age Green Lantern stuff through the Jon Stewart era. Like, Hal Jordan really got the crap end of the stick. Like, Emerald Twilight, he was just, that's not okay. And and especially as he's defined as the one who was fearless, the best of us, the best of the core. uh, That's where... I get a little frustrated. I could see them doing that to maybe a different Green Lantern. Maybe they did that to Guy and and something like that. But yeah, it it is a perfect example, unfortunately, as we're going to probably talk about, of DC needed to do something that would create press, would sell books, and go from there. Yeah, well, again, we'll we'll get into that, but... That's the other thing too that I, I do think about, and I, I am cognizant of that. If you were a Hal Jordan fan, it's like what yeah. a tough, what a tough pill this would be to swallow. And I mean, I've been thinking about this. And an audience, please weigh in. And Bernie, I'll ask you too. I mean, is there any is there any other character? Because look, as Superman fans, we've been through a lot of changes, right? When it comes yeah. to Superman, new costume, new powers. Uh, the new 52 is probably for me, at least one of the biggest examples of, they have fundamentally shifted what I believe the character to be. But even then, even then it was more about who they took away around him, right? Taking away the Kents, taking away the, the love story with Lois Lane, but he was still, he was still the guy. Well, and there's, and we, and we were just listening to your episodes and talking about the trope of the Superman gone wrong or the Superman turns bad idea. But it's never been main continuity Superman. It's always been Ultraman, Earth 2. It's always been Injustice, because something happened in that universe to Lois. Never main continuity character. Always an Elseworlds, always a multiverse. This is pretty rough. Like, this is... The Green Lantern character has been around for decades. That's like, nope, now he's bad. It's like, whoa. And that's that's, uh, that's the hard, that makes it hard to swallow. Yeah, because we've had characters. I mean, I guess this is the thing. We've had characters die or get injured and replaced, like Superman and Batman, but there was clearly a plan in place, right? And they came back. We've had characters die like Barry Allen, and for all intents and purposes, was intended to remain that way, eventually came back. But still, at the time, I think the intent was, okay, he's gone, but still, he dies a hero's death, saving saving the universe, right? So even if you were sad to see him go, it wasn't as if, oh, they fundamentally changed everything that I know this character to be. Yep. So this was was I really feel like an outlier and and I can only imagine for someone reading this in real time back in the day the whiplash that you must oh. feel because though I didn't read it it's not collected it's not available digitally I could have found scans I suppose but 
Green Lantern 47, the one, the lone issue in between the reign of the Superman tie-in and Emerald Twilight, he's, you know, rescuing Tom and Carol and palling around with Green Arrow. And I did see a scan, I think, of one of the final pages where he's basically like, okay, I have to leave the past behind me or something like that. Like, he seems okay with what's happened. And it's clearly in continuity. He's got the broken arm still from 46. It's just such a weird divergence. And even like Wonder Woman snapping Maxwell Lord's neck and sacrifice that tracks like that. There's a reason for it. It's been building up to that. Who she is as an Amazon that made sense. This is such a divergent shift to like Hal just goes bananas. And yes. And how, how quickly he goes bananas and how bananas he goes. Because I, this was the oh. other thing I kept thinking of where it's one thing for him to rebel against the Guardians. He wants the power to bring back Coast City. They deny him that. It's one thing for him to rebel. It's one thing for him to try to take all the power in the central battery. Yeah. It's even it's even one thing for him to snap Sinestro's neck, which we see happen yes. in Emerald Twilight. But to to take out the Green Lanterns who were sent to stop him and to take out the Guardians, right? It just, it it takes it to a level beyond redemption, right? But I guess what's interesting to me is that they went as far as they did because they could have kind of, that's the thing. I I kept coming back to this idea too, where they could have sort of reined that in a little bit, still kept the overall idea and still brought in Kyle Rayner. But they really- went as far as they could go with Hal Jordan. Yeah. They tripled down. They didn't just double down. And 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 I'm I'm, re, I'm I've read it a number of times Anthony and every time I read it I go, "Wow, he's really he's leaving them in space. They're dead. They're dead in space. He's taken their rings. They're not able to fly in space. They're dead." And then Kilowog, he roasts. He's standing over his gas skeleton. It's like one of his best friends. It just doesn't track. And I understand, like he says in 46, millions of dead. I hear them screaming like he could hear the voices of Coast City. But again, like it just, yes, clearly he needs therapy. We get that. But but this is over the edge. He could have knocked out Green Lantern. Like He could have done a lot without killing everybody. That's why I think, again, you read Rebirth. That's why Batman is so pissed off. He's been pissed off this whole time, and he's still pissed off. And and rightfully, Joe John's like, enough. But Batman's, he knows exactly what Hal has done. Yeah, it's, no, it's true. Now, at the same time, because I, I know we're talking about, well, I can't believe they, they went there, how quickly and how far. But I, I am going to say something. I think yeah. that, and any Heat members who might be listening, I know will disagree, but <laughs> for, talking about Emerald Twilight in particular, for an editorially planned and dictated three-part story, yeah. it's better than it has any right to be. Yeah. It really should be a six-part story. Even Ron Mars has admitted that. And look, we'll talk about how it came to be. Uh, and I do want to get your take on those first 45 issues that you read, because I think that's an interesting component to this and ties into the background. But 
there's, I'm going to jump ahead for just one second because there's one big picture point that I want to make and I don't want to lose sight of it or forget it because it really, <laughs> a lot clicked into place when I read it. So it's Green Lantern number zero. It's the issue right after zero hour. So at the end of zero yeah. hour, Hal Jordan has tried to rewrite the timeline and fix everything. Ollie shoots him with the, with the arrow and while Kyle is holding him. So the two of them kind of fade away together and seem seemingly lost in the time stream. But then we go to the zero issue of Green Lantern and they've been pulled back to Oa. Right. Yeah. And there's this very, I think, human moment between the two of them. And Hal's just kind of on the ground and he's like, You don't understand. Like, I was supposed to save them. Like, what kind of hero am I? Like, I was supposed to save them, the people of Co City. And as I was reading that, not to get all meta and Grant Morrison about it, but what mm -hmm. I realized, <laughs> there's this there's this weird component here where the very conventions of superhero comic book storytelling failed Hal Jordan because Hal's right. Your city is not supposed to be destroyed when it's inhabited by 7 million people, right? Yeah. But this, ha so it's just this weird thing where it's like, yeah, in and not to take us in a different direction or belabor the point, and I've made this point before, but just real quick, whenever there's this debate about Superman killing, right? Yes, the point that I always try to make is it's all, it's all well and fine to say, oh, Superman will never kill. He'll always find a way. And yes, mm -hmm. in most stories, that's true because the writers give him another way, right? Yes. But when you put him in a situation where there isn't, well, then what will he do? And that's what certain stories have tried to get at, in my opinion. But so similarly here, it's like, I mean, and I don't know, maybe there are, there are other examples of this. And please let me know if anything comes to mind. But an instance where... And a, a hero's entire city is annihilated and everyone is there and killed. I mean, I guess during Infinite Crisis, there was Chemo, right? Who who descended on Bloodhaven and wiped out yes. Bloodhaven. But I don't remember offhand where it was like, was everybody there or had they evacuated to some extent? Uh, well, okay. Plus, all right. <clears throat> well, everything you're saying is totally on point. Bloodhaven doesn't count. Nightwing doesn't have Green Lantern powers. Yeah, that too. So... It's not like Bloodhaven's protected by a freaking Green Lantern Corps member. So the question you're saying, which is an awesome one, is why wasn't he there? Like, don't you don't like that's a writer choice. That's that's a plot trope that sucks. Like that's that's something they did intentionally and poorly. That's a you know, they would never would never do that to Gotham, and they would never do it to 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 especially God Batman has no powers, and they still wouldn't do it to Gotham. That's a great point because when I was flipping through the, the Reign of the Superman uh, collected edition yeah. and yeah, there's one of the, the issue before it's like Hal's returning. There's a, just like a panel where he's returning from yeah. space and he's like, oh, what's going on in Coast City? And then we get into the Green Lantern number 46 yes. time issue. And so it's like, so here's the thing that's just kind of baffling to me about this, which is that Coast City is destroyed while he's off planet and it ha like... I <laughs> As a Superman fan, you might imagine, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about this at all. But, but I'm also a Green Lantern fan, and I'm a comics fan generally, and these questions are intriguing to me. It's like, this guy's city was destroyed in another character's event? Yeah. Like, what the that's hell? Garbage. Like, <laughs> like, that's what I didn't understand even when I read it. Like, why... Why not do it to Metropolis? Not that I'm saying that that is the thing they should have done. But wouldn't that made more sense? Like cyborg Superman 
literally has a beef with Superman about his wife and his friends and him turning into Cyborg Superman. Yet you drop these bombs on Coast City? Like what? Was it better real estate value? I don't understand. That, again, that's writer choice and it's garbage. And that's what pisses me off, especially, and we'll talk about the first 45 issues that it makes zero sense of the tone of that book. Yeah, I, again, it's something that, especially, and you, you and I did the episode on Digging for Kryptonite where we talked about Reign of the Superman. And I, I know we touched on it there, but it's been in the back of my head all along. And again, it's something that as a kid didn't register at all. But also too, like you said, there's, when you look at the entire Reign of the Superman storyline, there's one tie-in issue from another title. Like, it's not as if this were a Superman Green Lantern crossover story from start to finish. Yeah. That's right. a little different. But this is just like one issue where he's fighting Mongol after he discovers the destruction of Coast City. But yeah, I would, and I, I would be very curious for any anyone listening who was reading yeah. Green Lantern at the time, uh, just kind of how you felt generally, but especially about that aspect of it. The fact that this critical turning point in the yeah. character's history happened in another book, in another character's crossover oh. event. That's kind of wild to me. But then going back to how this came to be, and you mentioned his name earlier, but Gerard Jones, the writer on Green Lantern prior to Emerald Twilight, uh, folks have likely heard uh, about this, but he was uh, arrested and convicted of possession of child pornography and served a prison sentence. Is actually out at the moment. But anyway, absolutely horrific, absolutely heinous. In no way do I plan to mention his name again or talk or celebrate his work in any way. Uh, but we will obviously reference some of the things that he wrote because it led directly into this. And there's, right. in particular, as part of my background research, there was a, uh, some interesting information about his original proposal because there was a prior alternate version of Emerald Twilight that was jettisoned and replaced with what we got written by Ron Mars. Uh, and that was all pretty new to me. Did you know about that business? No. I didn't. You sent me that article and I read the article. I can't remember exactly what the original intent was, but just the fact that there was a lot of disagreements, um, I think, over editorial staff and Gerard Jones for a long time, which seems to sound like it was also misunderstood uh, with like the upper admin making a lot of decisions that there was a middleman that was basically given a lot of the brunt of the blame. And then Gerard Jones was really upset with that, ultimately leading to the I'm leaving the book, somebody else taking over. So basically, my understanding, and yeah, that article covered a lot of ground, and I think I said it was the CBR article that I sent you? Was it I there? I think so, yeah. There's another one that I read too, but the CBR article kind of captures the, the heart of it, where his sales and interests were lagging, and there was this idea, yeah. hey, we got to shake things up, we're going to bring in a new Green Lantern, we're going to move Hal Jordan to a different position. And huh. there, there was an original, what? No, we're going to move Hal to a different position. The position of a crazy person. Like, <laughs> well, I don't like, think that, well, but in that original version, he wasn't meant to go right. this far off the reservation, is my understanding. <laughs> right, sorry. But so yeah. there was this originally conceived Emerald Twilight storyline that would have been written by the writer who was writing Green Lantern. And what's really fascinating, and I'll, I'll, I can post this on social media if people are curious, but there were house ads advertising this that yeah. said, it's like, we killed Superman, we broke Batman's back. Wait till you see what we do to Green Lantern. Uh, so there was that, and there were original solicitation uh, solicitations for uh, GL forty eight yeah. and forty nine. So the word was right. kind of out. So which is kind of crazy to think how how fast. That's why I say yeah. 
Three issues, editorially mandated, at the last minute, three different artists. Emerald Twilight is better than it deserves to be on paper. If yes, you were like, I agree. this is how I the agree. story came to be. Like, all right, this is probably going to be crap. And it's, I think it's better than, than that. Anyway, yeah. so the original pitch for this was, and this is a very condensed version of it because I was reading the whole thing. It goes on for a bit. But essentially, a new group of guardians shows up and says they're the true guardians. So now you have this split between the old guardians and the new guardians. And it seems like most of the core kind of falls in line with the new ones, but Hal is pretty convinced that the original old guardians are the true ones. And so this leads to this schism within the core and battles between mm -hmm. them. So that aspect of kind of Hal going quote unquote rogue against the core, that yeah. aspect of it was still there. Ultimately, it turns out Hal is right and Hal, then the old guardians were the true ones. But what he also learns, the big revelation that kind of flips a switch for him is that the, those original old true guardians had orchestrated the death of Hal's father to make him into the kind of hero a Green Lantern needs oh, to be. So armed no. with that knowledge, he can no longer continue to serve even after that threat is abated. And so he goes off to become, and they say this was only a placeholder title, oh, the protector. protector? Yeah. I saw that, yeah. yeah. So that's the idea, which opens the door for a new Green Lantern, moves Hal to maybe more of an anti-hero sort of role in the DC which, universe. Which I actually, I'm not upset about that idea and that or, and that storyline. And it doesn't really punk the the history of who Hal Jordan was. Well, and so this is the thing that I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about. By the way, we're just under a half hour into this. And already I am really happy that we're doing this podcast series because <laughs> as much as I have a lot to say about Superman, I care about these other characters. Yeah. And so this is a lot of fun. And I think these are some interesting questions. So I'm having a great time. And I appreciate you being here. But, oh my God. but this is the thing that's like kind of very intriguing to me is that they, it's like, what was the main objective here? We need to freshen things up. We need a new Green Lantern. Like, don't you think a new Green Lantern is really the kind of the main thrust of what the book needs to improve sales? And either of these paths, I guess my point is they went out of their way to destroy the version of Hal Jordan that had existed. Yeah. And I feel like they could have had a very similar effect and a new Green Lantern without going as far. So I'm not, look, for, for members of that fan group who were calling for Ron Mars to be fired and all of that stuff, and there, were, yeah, there was word Ron of- Ron Mars' fault. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, in that sense, it's like, no, 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 we, we got to be respectful. We got to take it easy. But but generally speaking, for any fans who who maybe were a bit miffed at this, I like, I do understand. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, like, the, I think the difference is with Superman, Batman, Aquaman, a little bit of Wonder Woman, um, but the character has always been the character, that name, that character's personage, that, that title. We are used to the Green Lantern Corps historically having multiple members, multiple people, multiple sectors, we could shift the perspective from one Green Lantern to a different. We did for a while in the late 80s, right? We were focusing on Jon Stewart for a long time. Um, again, I just feel like it's just such a crappy way to treat a loved character. I am sure there are people that love Green Lantern as much as we love Superman.
Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. I know for a fact there are. So that's, I think, the frustrating. Or just the mythos and history of the core. Like, it really, they decimated the core in three issues, too. Not even a long story arc, for goodness sake, but three, done. Like, that's it. Look, when you talk about people who love Hal Jordan, fellow Digging for Kryptonite guest, Rich Roney is probably the biggest Hal Jordan fan I know. But what's interesting now, it's been, you know, I've talked about this many times over the years. I don't remember this specifically, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I don't know necessarily that he was consistently buying and reading and enjoying the Green Lantern title leading up to this. Well, and there's that too, and that's something we can talk about. So I've read, again, it's been a long time, I've, 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 Bought, read, and sold all of those issues over the course of the last 20 years. Um, the coolest thing about those issues from 1990 to 1994 was, I think, 94. Um, we had tons of guest star villains that came in over. We had Gorilla Grodd. We had Adams. Uh, we had Deathstroke showed up. We also, it was a great, it became kind of a very DC Comics Presents mentality. We had um, Flash show up. We had Adam Strange show up. Um, but but again, the Rogue Gallery started to get kind of rough. Um, like Evil Star. There's even a comment that was made, I think, in Rebirth. Um, it's like, Evil Star? Really? Those are the villains you're dealing with? You know, it, it was very cheesy, um, late 80s, early 90s-esque villains. It was the tone was never very serious. It was dry. It was light. It was even cynical at times. But we also were watching Hal age. Hal's getting grayer and grayer over the course of those 45 issues. So I think it's kind of crappy too. They clearly wanted a young Green Lantern. So can't we just retire him in that kind of kind way instead of let's make him go bananas in three issues speaking of the white walls as someone who is (laughs) getting grayer and grayer by the day 
buddy, uh, at least you have, at least you have gray. <laughs> You can always, show a movie. Yeah, you can show a movie off the top of my head right now. So <laughs> I always say it's like, all right, well, if I have it, it's okay. I, I can I can always yeah. color it, but <laughs> but but then I, and when we get to Green Lantern Rebirth, to the credit of Jeff Johns, he even accounted for that. That that would, and then it made me think. It's like, have, has a parasitic fear entity leached itself onto my oh, soul? Is that why? Maybe I've gone as gray that as could I be. That could be it. <laughs> uh, but but you know, I guess that. So it's great to get that perspective. And that certainly lines yeah. up with all those articles I was reading about, you know, why they needed a shakeup, right? That the book was not in, in great shape. And even just even just from reading that Reign of the Superman tie-in, like that Hal was an older Hal, right? He did yeah. not look and feel and operate like a youthful, vibrant version of the character like we would later right. get with Rebirth Forward. And anyway, so we had that original pitch for Emerald Twilight, and then the the higher ups at DC felt that more was needed. That we needed an actual creative shakeup. And I, to your point, right. there seemed to be a little bit of a of a mix up on the the writing and editorial side about what was going. But in any event, the original writer left, and Ron Mars was offered the gig. And as he's talked about in interviews, Ron Mars has said this. He's like, "Yeah, I recognize this probably should have been six issues, right?" He has he has yeah. said that. He was essentially given the broad strokes and the end game of the yeah. story, and he had to craft something around it. And again, the fact there are three different artists for the three issues, this was so quickly put together. But I guess this is another interesting question where for fans, I, I, how do I put this? Do you need to be buying and reading the book to sort of have a, a quote unquote say? Like- because I could see this cuts both ways, right? Like on the one hand, as a Hal Jordan fan, like if I'm not enjoying Green Lantern, that 1990 series, if I'm not enjoying it, it could just be I don't like this take on the character. If you give me a different, better take on this character, I will come back and I right. will start buying it. So maybe the answer isn't, well, you have no say and we're we're, <laughs> we're going to completely throw this character out and turn him into a villain. But on the other hand, I mean, I do see it from DC's perspective. And in fairness, sales went up. I mean, it was the the turn was ultimately a successful one, but I don't know what, what level well, of, of, of participation does a fan need to have in an instance like that? Well, I mean, if you look at the last 10 years of DC comics, there's been plenty of fan backlash and it didn't seem to really make a huge difference until they chose to make a difference. It is, I think it's, it's always going to be who's in charge of the books, who's in charge of the, the editorial staff. And that's the hard part. Um, I think this book started selling because Kyle Rayner's take was so different. Kyle was not an experienced Green Lantern. You know, he was flawed. He was human as far as, I mean, hell, so human, but uh, he was an experienced best of us. Kyle's an, a freelance artist. That changed a lot too. I think the, the, the idea of what could be projected and created from the Green Lantern ring changed, and the look was very different. Different villains came in. I think even just the, hate to be this way, the girlfriend in the fridge concept, that was rough too. I mean, that changed the tone of the book considerably. Um, so, yeah, I think sales went up, but not necessarily because how went nuts, because I think what they did at measure at, at, in issue 51 made a big difference. No, I agree. No, no, no. Th no, thank you for clarifying. Now, when I agree with that, and I guess that then goes back to what we've been saying, where they could have right. achieved a similar result. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and that's one thing. And look, maybe this has been addressed elsewhere and I've missed it. I would be curious if anyone has any insight in this of, of why, again, I think you and I and hopefully the audience kind of gets why why we got Kyle Rayner. But yeah. it's like, the, I guess there's still question of why Hal had to go as crazy well, as he went. <laughs> oh, don't forget, dude, Rebirth was 2005. I just had a check. So for the record... It took 10 years to redeem Hal Jordan and they didn't even redeem him in his own book. They, they, they had him bounce through zero hour final crisis day of judgment over the course of 10 years to figure out how to do this. And I think it came down to again, Jeff Johns feeling the way that we felt going, they didn't do right by Hal. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. This wasn't an instance where, again, I think Ron Mars wrote the most of Hal's, appearances emerald twilight forward but not all of them and i so this wasn't a case where there was a creative steward of this character this was really again so much of his story like we said was told over these events for for better or worse but it's just such an interesting case study in the context of those three issues you know emerald twilight part one opens with him just like kneeling there in the crater of what was coast city and then he creates this uh construct of the city and its inhabitants and has this conversation with his father, which side note numerous times on this, on digging for kryptonite in episodes you've, you've been on as well. I think I've talked about how, man, Jeff Johns, every time he takes over a character, he kills off a parent, right? Flash's mother, Hal's father. No one has said to me, Hey, Hal's dad was already dead. (laughs) But I, I realize that in the context of, of rereading Emerald Twilight. So I guess I do have to re- retract a little bit of that criticism there where that was, I guess in my mind, I, I, I think I thought that was a, a Jeff Johns addition to the Hal Jordan mythology, but that was not the case. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he, Jeff's a good guy. He, he loves parents. He's, he's okay. <laughs> Does he? Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, where do you want to go next? Because I really think that, you know, I keep I keep going back to what you said about in different books, we we're talking about Hal Jordan. Like when you look at Batman Nightfall and Night's End, we 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 break Batman's back, but then we heal him through Batman books. We we see Batman's growth in no man's land and what's happening through Batman books. Um, but we never got to really see Hal heal inside a Green Lantern book until he was reborn. That was the sad thing. So do you want to jump and start looking through the spots where we start seeing like the growth? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just, just to button up Emerald Twilight real quick. So real quick, because it happens really fast in these books where in 48, Uh, right, he creates this Emerald construct of the city, but his ring runs out of juice and the guardian appears and it's like, you've used your powers for personal gain report to Oa for sanctions. And he, and he rebels and he's like, I'm going, but you won't like what I do when I get there. And Uh, then in the subsequent issue, right, it's him tearing through the green lantern Corps in space who are in his way. He's taking their rings now in that issue or the next one, Kilowog does say something to Hal about you left them out there. And Hal's like, well, I left them enough power to survive, but then he goes and he takes all the power from the central. I was like, no. And, uh, in the in the the climax of this, the guardians turn to the unlikeliest of allies, the original renegade Sinestro, who's been imprisoned within the uh, the central battery, and Hal defeats him in battle and snaps his neck in a very visceral yeah. moment there, and realizes and and also 
kills Kilowog pretty brutally, just fries him, enters the power battery, absorbs all of its power, wipes out the Guardians, save for Ganthet, who, of course, right. journeys to Earth and will give the last ring to the alley rat, Kyle Rayner. And Hal emerges in his new garb. Uh, we don't get the name Parallax yet, but he emerges as as Parallax and, and flies right. off. And that's GL 48 to 50. I mean, that's Emerald Twilight. Uh, I mean, I guess just before we move on to the subsequent appearances, look, all of us, the writer included, agree this happened real fast. But as you're reading it, I mean, do you do you feel for Hal? Do you see, like, does it just feel like just totally abrupt and you can't buy into it? Or is there a part of you that feels, hey, I get why he would do what he does. I understand the progression as fast as it happens. Well, and I'm sitting here trying to think about it. So like 48 to 50, of course, it's now what's what's weird as a reader, it's read over three months, which I'm imagining reading these, waiting to see what's going on next. And and soliciting and seeing the picture of like Hal looking like all crazy with like all the rings on his fingers, which I think is still one of the best covers ever. Whenever I see it, it just looks maniacal. But when you think about the time frame, it probably this happens over six hours. Yeah. Maybe. Like all this can't be happening much. It's over hours. So I'm also thinking of like, think of all the crazy, terrible mass shootings. And things we've had in our country. Those don't happen over months. Those happen in minutes. Those happen in an hour. That happens like Columbine. You name it. Like all these things. Somebody snaps. Bad things happen. And I hate to be this way and make it kind of go dark. But I guess it is possible that Hal could have had a psychotic break and just snap. If he's saying, I wasn't this hero I should have been. I'm the supposedly the Green Lantern without fear, yet I wasn't even here to have the chance to save them. Snap. Like, maybe it is possible. I mean, you said it a moment ago when you talked about how this guy needs therapy. It's like, you know, can't even fathom, right? If you oh. were the protector of, a, of an entire city full of 7 million people who were oh. annihilated on your watch, I, the fact that he would have a break is not so unbelievable. Again, I think right. what what again, we know the sort of the the behind the scenes publication history of this and you read again right. Green Lantern 47, you read Superman 83, the funeral for a friend epilogue where uh they're they're attempting to submerge uh, Engine City. Hal's pretty dark in that one. There's definitely a lot of anger, but he's like functioning, right? So again, when you go from that to then 48, it's like, "Whoa, what happened here?" Right. But it's like, "No, I mean it does it, it, it does track here to an extent. And and look, now everything that I laid out that Hal, Hal does in 48, 49, and 50, the fact that in the years prior, his hair had gone gray, like Jeff Johns will retcon all of this in Green Lantern Rebirth and will get explanations. And it was the fear entity that was influencing him and making him doubt himself and stressing him out and all of that. Right. But looking at Emerald Twilight as it was originally intended, I mean, that's the way it plays out. I will say this, that you def I think the story does a good job of showing... Hal's frustration. And I yeah. think it's an understandable frustration of like, you're the guardians, you're the protectors. I've served you loyally. It's yeah. like, not only do I quote unquote deserve this, but it's like, is this not what we're here to do to help? If we have it within our power to right. fix this, why shouldn't we? Like I, you get, I feel like the story shows his frustration believably. So as a listener of the podcast right now, so like we're not contradicting ourselves 
we are just saying two separate things. One, this is possible. Two, it sucks they did this to a character so quickly and so out of the blue. So we're not like double talking, but we are saying, okay, if they're going to do this, this is valid. It sucks they did it, but it's valid. We've seen it in our own world. It's doable in, in this world. Yeah. And then along the way, so right, that initial interaction with the guardian and he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to you guys. These green lanterns are in his way. And he's like, Hey, cause he's been in the same position, like of following their orders, but now he's on the other side of it. And he's like, no, like they're, they're not worthy of us following them. And, but they're right. still in his way. And then to be faced with Sinestro, I mean, you know, you think about how that would land with Hal Jordan. It's like you turn to him of all people when I'm seeking your help. So Anyway, look, we all recognize this wasn't not an ideal situation in terms of telling right. the story. But I think in broad in broad strokes, I think there are a lot of aspects of it that do work when you factor in the unfathomable trauma that Hal went through. And yet, you know, again, there's a huge part of me that wishes this story had been planned out from the start and was given time yeah. to breathe. You know, like it would have been a, a no. whole different a whole different thing. But this is what we got. Yeah, the consequence of the action matches the devastation of the event. So that that tracks. We just don't like the fact they did it to a character that it just went, it turned left way too fast. Yes. So from there, uh, we have, you know, Hal is Parallax for, uh, it's funny, only really a few years through Final correct. Night when he makes his big sacrifice. And I, I guess in my mind, I thought he made more appearances as Parallax, but I went to, I forget what the site Three? is called. It might be, well, no, he pops up. So that's the thing. I went to the site, what's it called? Like DCU guide or something. And they have characters okay. appearances listed. Oh, wow. uh, okay. Assuming it's accurate and, and complete. He pops up a bunch of times. So I was never aware of this, but uh, right after Emerald Twilight, there's a four part storyline in Guy Gardner warrior called Emerald Fallout. Oh, where okay. guys' powers are kind of uh, going awry. And essentially, you know, to your point, like Emerald Twilight happens so quickly. How does the rest of the DC universe find out about this? So that's, right. I only skimmed through this, but essentially that's where everyone else starts to get a sense of like, uh, I think Hal did something and there's something wrong on Oa. Oh no. And the, the fourth and final issue of that storyline is they really took their cues from Superman 75 because it's all splash pages. It's an issue of splash pages oh. of Hal now Parallax and Guy fighting. And this is referenced in Zero Hour. When Zero, when Hal shows up and he, he's right. talking with Guy, he's like, well, last time we fought, that's where that was. Got it. Okay. Not to put down any creators where... The, the, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, you need to go out and read that storyline. But they do have that interaction. And the all-splash page issue was, uh, was, <laughs> was kind of an interesting one. And then from there, it's Zero Hour when he makes his surprise appearance. Right. So... How did you feel? How did you feel ultimately about the zero hour ending? If we find out the parallax is really behind all of it. So we think extant is that Hank Hall. Yeah. Yeah. So we think he's the one behind all of this. And ultimately it's now, now it's the realization that Hal has moved from mourning the loss and offing the guardians and saying, I have the power. It's what am I going to do with this power that I now have? Well, he's going to basically recreate and fix everything that needs to be fixed by wiping it all out and starting again, ultimately starting 
a crisis, which you seem to have a little bit of experience with. Thank you for reminding me because what I wanted to say, and I don't want to belabor the point because for anyone who listened to Digging for Kryptonite's Red Skies event, I ranted about this enough. But let's not forget, as we've learned through recent events, <laughs> and just for the record here, at this point, I can't even do, like, at this point in time, Hal Jordan was being influenced by the Parallax Fear Entity, yep. as well as Perpetua, as well as the Great Darkness. This poor bastard had yes. multiple forces <laughs> swirling around in there, yes. influencing yeah. him and corrupting him. What sort, like what sort of thoughts could this guy have possibly been forming? I mean, to use a, a kind of off-color phrase, he has been made people's bitch quite a bit over the course of his storylines, and he's just a puppet. And that's what I really don't like about all of this until they redeem him in Rebirth. Okay, and then, so this is the thing. And this is one of the other big picture questions here because, and I know I'm jumping ahead, when we get yeah. to Green Lantern Rebirth, right, we do get this reveal that no, he has been influ at a minimum influenced and corrupted. You could even say possessed if you really, you know, really want to absolve him, right, by this parallax fear entity. And Jeff Johns talks about this in the in the original proposal yeah. that's in the book. He's basically like, it's not like Hal just killed one person. He's killed many people. Like that's beyond yeah. redemption. We need a way out for this. Yeah, we need an excuse. Right. But so then we get the retcon of Parallax. Then years later, we get the retcon of Perpetua. And then we get the retcon of the Great <laughs> Darkness. And so I don't I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. And I don't really know how I feel. Because part of me is like, for better or worse, in the original stories, Hal was doing these things for the reasons he was doing them, mis misguided or, or not, whatever. Yeah. It, you know, well-intentioned, but misguided. Yeah. Uh, and there's something appealing to at least him having the agency in those stories. And it's like now when we kind yes. of pile up these retcons, it just, yeah, I think it, it not only muddies the waters of what you actually believe, but I think it cheapens it. Like I think, okay, if we're going to go this route, we're going to triple down on making Hal a villain and making him have a psychotic break and doing all these things. Like, uh, let him let him do it. Like, don't don't cheapen it by saying, "Oh, he didn't really know what he was doing because he was a puppet of this," and then in different ways have him being a puppet. It, it again, it cheapens the character. Like, I'd be so upset if they did something like that to Superman. Yeah. No, at, look, at, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's tough enough what they do initially, then the attempts to oh, remedy yeah. it. Although, look, all that being said, and we'll get to Rebirth more specifically in a little bit. I think yeah. Rebirth does a lot and does a lot well. And I'm very yeah. happy with what, what they ultimately did, you know, but, 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 but we'll get to that. But, I, you know, with, with Hal and Zero Hour, and having recently gone back and reread it, there's yeah. not, look, it, it's a fun event. We have a lot of nostalgia for it. Some of the tie-ins were cool. The zero month yeah. that came after was really cool. The story itself, yes. eh, not so great. there's not a lot there until Hal shows up. I feel like that's the point where it's like, okay, this is now getting a little interesting. And uh, I mean, just remind me, did, were you reading this as it was coming out? You were surprised at Hal? Because like, I didn't have that experience. I read the I read Zero Hour in the trade that had Hal on the cover. So there was no, there's no surprise it, for me. I read it. I read it as it came out and then I thought that was cool. Like I was like, Oh, like, and, and that is a, that tracked like that explanation of no, 
Hal is the puppet master because he wants to basically create a crisis event and reboot things. Um, I thought that was cool. Like I thought that was like, oh, okay. If we're gonna, if we went this route, this is the natural progression of things. Hal wants to be a hero again. He can't be a hero again, but he's now an anti-hero. He's gonna do anything he can to try to still do the right thing, but he can't, and he doesn't understand that yet. So attract, but I don't love. Again, I don't love the retconning. Yeah, I mean, again, I really like that last issue. And and his face-off with the heroes, Ollie ultimately drawing on him and shooting him with the arrow. Like, that's... And look, I know how Jordan fans will disagree with this. I totally get that. But I guess what I also keep coming back to is where, where is Hal Jordan's greater value? And look, even... Let's put aside the larger core. Because you can have... You could have brought back the core and not brought back Hal, right? So just in the context of how Jordan in and of himself, it's like there's something so compelling about mm-hmm. the heel turn that he makes becoming this villain, ultimately starting from a good place. And, and again, wanting to quote unquote fix it. You know what this reminded me of kind of uh, what Jeff Johns did with uh, uh, Hunter Zolomon zoom in the flash run where oh, yeah. like, I always thought this was fascinating. This idea that he wants to put Wally through tragedy to make him a better hero Right? Like it's so twisted and it's messed up. But this idea that like, oh, I'm trying to help you. I'm putting yeah. you through this so you'll be stronger and you'll be a better hero. It's such an interesting take. And so like kind of similarly here where it's like, I'm trying to fix things. I'm trying to help you guys. And they've right. got this history, all this water under the bridge. I mean, I don't know. I, I There's a big but part see, of me that's like that. There's a lot of value in that kind of villain. Well, and, and I've been using the term psychotic a number of times. That's a psychopath. Like they're, they are disjunct from reality. Like that is their reality. They see truth in that. It is psychotic. It does. It is not ethical or tracks with anything that's real, but it like in their, the story they're telling themselves, that's what they mean to do. That's their intention. They have good intentions. The rest of the planet, it's psychotic. So yeah, I, again, I think it would be so much wiser to just go that route. Yeah. But they don't. No. Oh, they, they something, something important. Now, I made fun of you because I know you're the Crisis King because you went through all this. <laughs> um, but um, what I noticed, which it, I, when I read Zero Hour, it's the first time I noticed this. Hal refers to the crisis three times. Now, what threw me off was I didn't think that the heroes would be aware that the crisis existed. So they know that there's a crisis. Which- and they know that they there fought. Was. They know there was a crisis. They know they fought Anti Monitor, and they know that's how Barry died. But they don't know, like there was okay. a multiverse. I think in Zero Hour, I think it's Wave Rider who acknowledges, like he, know, like we through okay. Wave Rider, like he knows that there were these other worlds before, but the characters don't. But they know that's what's always was so nebulous about it. It's like, well, we had this well, battle right. against Anti Monitor. Barry died, but like they don't know what it was about. I don't know what it was about, right? So that's <laughs> what I read. That I'm going wait. Does Greenland, does Hal know about that? Because I don't even remember Hal being much part of the crisis in general. So yeah, it just, it just, it, it, it made me interested. Um, all right. So the other quote, the other thing I had here that like on the reread, Hal, if you look at it, while Hal did crazy things, Hal seems very calm. Like, 
it's like Hal has gone through that break, has done all those things, tick, tick, tick the power, but now he has purpose. So that was the one tone shift I noticed in Zero Hour, where it's like, it's not bananas, I have all the rings. It's, okay, I have a plan. Here's the plan. And I wrote down, he doesn't seem as crazy as I remembered when I first read Zero Hour. He just seems very calm. And it's almost like he's confused why everybody isn't on board with his plan. He's like, I'm going to, no, guys, I'm bringing Coast City back. It's a good thing. And he doesn't understand why they're upset. That's a great, no, that's a really great observation. And in some sense, I think that's a little bit of an outlier in the, in the parallax stories, because yes. again, when we get to the next appearance right after zero hour in green lantern zero, where Hal and Kyle are on Oa again, yeah. there's that, there's that, I think powerful moment where Hal's like, I was supposed to save them. And then Kyle yeah. gives him the ring. Yes. Because Kyle talks about yes, losing does. Alex and being a hero requires more sacrifice. And he has this moment where he's like, I can't do this. Yeah. He's like, I can't, maybe, maybe you're better at this than I am. I can't do this. And Hal puts on the ring and there's this great shot of him holding it up. And he's like, oh, I'm Green Lantern oh. again. And, you know, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. No, no you're not. <laughs> you're not. But it's like, I wonder what it was like for the hardcore Hal fans reading that. Oh, my gosh. Because I feel like that issue is trolling them hard. So. There's yeah. that moment, right? And then, but to your point, right after that, and I don't know, what, what Kyle, what did you expect here? Because like right after that, Hal gets back into, okay, now I can fix things. And he gets back more into that like maniacal. And he, Kyle, yeah. he, there's this great beat where, uh, and you know, we mentioned like, Ron uh-oh. Mars. Shout out to Daryl Banks. Love, love his art. Yeah, uh, I love it. But yeah, there's this great, <laughs> this great bit where Kyle's like, oh boy. He's like, oh no. Like he realizes the mistake that he's made. Yeah. Um, he's able to hide in, in one of the chambers on Oa and he like, oh yeah. You know, is able to get the jump on Hal and get the ring back like surprisingly quickly. And then he, he's like, okay, Oa's a battery, right? So I can overload it. So he fires all of this energy at the core of the planet and it blows up. And then a figure starts to emerge in space. And it's like, who is it? Who is it? And it's Kyle. It's like, I'm the one true Green yeah. Lantern now. But it's like that issue, I feel, is really trolling uh, the Hal oh, fans. Oh, and so it's very mean to the Hal fans. Like, hey, we're going to fix it. Nope, nope, no, no, no. Um, I'm a big Office fan. And that moment in that issue of Zero when Kyle, like, he gives him the ring and then he realizes, oh, wait, this was probably a bad idea. It's when in the office that if you, if you've watched the show where they've hired a new boss after Michael and it's Will Ferrell and they think he's going to be great. And Will Ferrell starts eating the cake with his bare hands. And then Jim and Dwight just go, Oh, oh no, what have we done? Like it's the, the realization of, Oh, I should not have given him the ring. <laughs> he's a crazy person still. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. And the fact that it's Jim and Dwight in particular, it's like, if there's something yes. that could unite those two guys, like it must be big and it yeah. must be bad. Uh, yeah. You know, the other thing too, I mean, we'll, we'll get, when we get to Green Lantern Rebirth, we get this really beautiful moment between Hal and Kyle where Hal introduces yes. himself as the one true oh, real Hal Jordan for the first time. I love that scene. Yeah. But one of the things I think that's so interesting through all of these stories that we're talking about, because a lot does happen in the pages of, Green Lantern, like in between these events, but it's Kyle's book at the time, right? And so Kyle has all these interactions with Hal. Like he only knows Hal as this villain, yet he's told what a great hero he was. Uh, And so it's just like what a skewed perspective he must have as he's he's navigating all of this. But 
Uh, well, and that's just a good segue because if when we go to then the next point of our reading, the next thing we see is Parallax Emerald Knight. The one thing before that is actually, so a couple of quick things. And again, oh, this, okay, was, this was, this uh, was, no, 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 it's all good. So this was, I, well, some of these I had read before, but so GL0 Hal seemingly killed in the destruction of O. Of course we know right. that. But then there's a string of little poppins, I call them, that he makes in various books, like Guy Gardner, like he shows up at the bar briefly. Uh, Green Arrow, this is during the where Angels Fear to Tread storyline, where yes. Ollie meets yeah. Connor for the first time. There's an issue where he shows up there in his bomber jacket at the diner. Uh, and then similarly in Green Lantern, leading up to uh, GL 63 and 64. It's a two-part story called Parallax View, where essentially mm -hmm. he comes back again. This time, this time it's not, oh, I'm going to rewrite the timeline, but it's like, I need to be a Green Lantern again. He's like, that will fix everything. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so he wants his ring back and he fights Kyle and Ganthet assembles essentially the remaining original members of the Justice League or their successors, basically who Hal served with on the Justice League the first time around um, to, to, to fight him. And then essentially though, Hal gets the jump on all of them and takes the ring from Kyle, but he actually has, it's like a moment of realization or clarity where he realizes like, this isn't right. Like he's had to pummel his former allies in order to get the ring back. And he, and he literally, he just, he voluntarily relinquishes the ring back to to Kyle and is like okay here like I'm not like I realize I can't be Green Lantern anymore yeah. uh and he departs with Ganthet who fuses with him because that comes up yeah. in the next thing in that final night special yeah. where he where he uh departs he says okay let's do this yeah and yeah so all that to say parallax view it was fine I don't know that it really added much more we've already had this business of I need to fix everything I need to fix everything this little segue of or the little detour of like oh I need to be a Green Lantern again it doesn't really have anything new to say. I felt, but right, you know, he but he pops up again there, and then final night. Yeah, um, I had not read that issue in such a long time, and it was funny because I didn't realize that it's actually in the final night trade. Because um, I was excited to find it, but then I was like, "Oh, it's in the trade." I didn't realize that. It's. I actually think this is one of the best parts of the reading assignment. Like for me, it was one of my favorite issues for so many reasons. But the quote that I wrote, I wrote best quote so far. So basically Parallax is hunting Cyborg Superman. He's been hunting him because that was never resolved. He finally catches him at the source wall. So he's looking for justice. But the best quote is he says, I don't blame this insane creature for what happened to me. He'll answer for Coast City, but my own transformation from what I want to watch to what I am now that I lay at the feet of the Guardians. So he's he's owning, like, I want justice for this guy because he is the reason Coast City's dead. Well, everything I've done is my own fault. And he's and he's owning that now. So like you're seeing like the steps towards not redemption, but towards remorse. So it's not, it's not crazed. It's past the plan. It's now remorse. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I know we've talked about final night on digging for kryptonite, but that was really the first of these DC events, these yeah. weekly events that I read in real time because zero hour, I, I missed the boat on, but final night 
I read as it was coming out, but I don't, I didn't even know about that, that Parallax special until years later. Uh, yeah. And it was a real treat to finally read it. I mean, the main miniseries works well enough, I guess. If I mean, it depends what perspective you're reading it from. Certainly, if you are reading it from, like we are, Hal Jordan perspective, you need that. That's essential connective yeah. tissue to show what he goes through before he shows up in Final Night 4 and sacrifices himself to absorb the Sun Eater and replenish the yeah. sun. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I have to say, I guess this is a testament to to the creators of Final Night and to the character of Hal mm-hmm. Jordan that even... Like, it's kind of crazy, even as a kid, without that Parallax special, and with with such little knowledge of Hal Jordan. I mean, I should have said this at the top, but like, I met Hal Jordan during Funeral for a Friend when he he showed up, and then Reign of the Superman. Like, that was it. I mean, and then he was very quickly off the board after that. Um, So having very little context for the character, and even not having that Parallax special, when you get to the point where he shows up in the sun, and he saves, he intercepts Feralad and sends him back, and he's like... Because Farrellad's like, I'm not going to be able to get the ring, the Legion ring back. And he's like, oh, yeah. I know how important rings can be, son. And he sends him back. And everything that he goes through in those final moments where he's like, you know, all I've ever tried to do is was the right thing. You know, first they called me a hero and then a villain. But it's still this idea of like, I've only ever tried to, I've only ever tried to help. And hopefully they'll remember me in a different light. And he recites the oath. Right. And not to harp on this, but look, Green Lantern Rebirth will establish that was that was a moment of the real Hal Jordan shining through, right? So they account for it. But right. again, there's a like there's a part of me reading this as it was coming out where it's like, oh, well, like that's really powerful. Even after everything he's done, that heroic core is still there and he's still willing to to make this ultimate sacrifice despite everything. It's a, it, it's, but also it's so funny. To but me. it's kind of garbage, garbage because isn't Parallax still with him at this point? Yeah. But that was, I guess, his his heroism was strong enough in that brief moment. And see, again, that's 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 why I don't like. I like rebirth, but I don't like what it says. I don't like what it does because Final Night would have been like, even though he can never be fully forgiven, he could be redeemed. Those are two different things. That's true. And then there's a night. There's a really nice aftermath issue in uh, Green Lantern where they where they have memorial for how um and, and yes, people speak, yeah. you know that was a good so like that's the thing i i, I just feel like there's a valid it, it, it's a valid take on the character to say like no nah, he went through these things and, and all that and we're we still haven't gotten to the specter part yet which is a, a key component in all of this but I, i'm with you i think that parallax special of final night was really cool and we're essentially it's that great opening sequence with cyborg but then oh. what i really love is you know kyle makes this plea like you got to help us and how's like i'll think about it and well, you come to see pretty quickly. He's like, Hal doesn't, like he realizes if he does this, he's probably not coming back from it. Right. And, and he has these visitations with the I key love, people. That's what I love, that's what I love about this, this issue. He kind, I love that he just goes, whoop, and he snaps Kyle away and he goes, I have things to do. Snap, boop, and Kyle's gone. And that's when he shows up back um, in Final Night. But it's very, it's a wonderful life kind of like visiting all, like saying the things he needs to say or uh, doing the things he needs to do, standing in front of Ollie's grave. Like, again, like it's a good issue. And I I don't think you can read Final Night without this issue, to be perfectly honest. I think if Hal shows up, it's very weird that he shows up without this. But it's such a great issue to read. It is. Well, and speaking of him in front of Ollie's grave, right, we'll later learn in the Kevin Smith Green Arrow series that was when Hal resurrected 
the body, yep. though not the soul of Oliver Queen, that will come in the Green Which, Arrow title. Oh, I, I please, please, please tell me I, if you do any of that. Please call me for that episode. I want to do the Green Arrow Quiver episode because there's a lot of cool stuff in that. We so I did. Well, I did another podcast series called My Comic Shop Book Club a couple of years ago, which is like a okay. year's or half a year's worth of episodes. We did do uh, Kevin Smith's Guardian Devil okay. and Quiver. But if I ever revisit Quiver, I got you. <laughs> okay, because yeah. I love that opening. It makes so much sense. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know whenever something happens, it always starts small, so small that its origins yep. almost always go unnoticed. Almost. I always remember that from Green Arrow. But anyway, so uh, so that's a cool you know, little bit of business yeah. where we'll learn later that that's when he brought Ollie back from the dead. But he uh, restores Jon Stewart's ability to walk. He has a conversation yeah. with Guy Gardner. He has a moment with Carol Ferris. Uh, so, you know, uh, Tom, right, who was ever, ever loyal to him, even when he oh, probably shouldn't have been. And he's writing a book about hell. Like he's, he's, he show he once he goes to show him the book, I've got the book right here. And that's just, again, it's a cool way to end that. Like house, I think I'm going to give you a good ending to your book. Yeah. So it's just cool. I look from, from Emerald twilight through final night, you know, it's, uh, it works in a lot of ways. This idea of like, yeah. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to fix things in this instance. It was, it was absorbing the sun eater and fi and fixing the sun so that yeah. the earth can live. Um, and uh, I could have stopped there personally. Like I, I personally could have stopped there. Um, we'll get the day of judgment. I'm not a fan, but, but I just, I wish how story could end there similar to how we had Barry Allen gone for a long, 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 long time. Like, and then maybe we figure out some way down the road if we re it's a reboot. I don't know, but I loved, I, I still am mad. I sold the issue that has, it was a green emerald foil cover that said, here lies earth's greatest hero with the green lantern in Sydney on. And I was like, I got to find that book again. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I know this podcast is an affiliate of BCW supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose and Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. But that's not where it ended, because just a few years later, we get Day of Judgment, and <laughs> we have the Spectre hostless because Jim Corrigan has moved on and is wreaking havoc, yes. and power has been usurped by evil forces. Asmodel, Asmodel, I forget what pronunciation I landed on the last time we talked about this, but uh, this evil angel who's taken his powers and Neuron is uh, mixed up in this. I didn't reread yeah. the entire thing, but I read just the Hal Jordan parts when he shows up in purgatory, when they're looking for a new soul yes. to inhabit the character. I, I read it. I read it on the iPad. Um, I've never scrolled so fast <laughs> through anything. I was like, la, 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 there's Hal. Okay. La, 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 la. <laughs> I kept going further and further through it. You know, it's funny. I have, I, I like day of judgment back in the day, but it's been a while since I've reread the full thing. I don't know how much enjoyment I would get out of it now. You know, per se. 
I I think I'm with you because you see Zoriel show up in there. I was really vested in that JLA run. And I love that JLA run. And Zarya was in there and I was like, ooh, I had the action figure. I loved that character. Ooh, there's Day of Judgment. Let me try it. And then it was a pleasant surprise when I read it the first time. I was like, oh, Hal Jordan, what's going on? And But now I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just see where Hal is. (laughs) DC just solicited uh, the first volume in a new series of JLA trades that's going to include all of the one-shots and miniseries, including the Zorio one, uh, in in their publication order. So I like that. Nice. That's cool. I dig that. Always been a fan of the character. So again, it's during the story where Hal bonds with the Spectre, becomes the Spectre's new host. Uh, There's an issue of Green Lantern. Uh, number 119, where he encounters mm. Kyle for the first time. There's this business initially, and I I don't know offhand if the writers just dropped this or if there's an in-story explanation, but initially no one remembers that Hal is the Spectre. Like anytime they have an interaction with him, they forget after that Hal is the Spectre. Yes. Yeah. But just, and so anyway, we have Day of Judgment. We have a couple of appearances. There's an issue of JLA yeah. right, right before Morrison's final arc where he pops up there. And then he gets his own ongoing series as the Spectre, which runs for 27 issues and is written by J.M. DeMatteis. So and just an hour past uh, or, or just uh, just past the hour mark here in our Hal Jordan discussion, we've arrived at this juncture where he becomes the host for yeah. the Spectre. What is your take on this leg of his journey? Well, it's interesting. So I hadn't read it for a while. I did like... Um, when they arrive to, I guess it's purgatory. I think that's where they eventually arrive. And there's multiple heroes that kind of went off the deep end a little bit in, in all there. I think it's, um, Rick flag vigilante. Um, and then ultimately you see this silhouette and it's Hal Jordan and they're like, Whoa, Hal. Um, and he clearly, I want to help any way I can because he's there. Um, So he wants to help. He returns to the heroes. Um, There's some really interesting. My take on it is this was a way to get Hal out of purgatory or it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like creative purgatory, so to speak too. He's kind of stuck. Um, So even when he comes back, Batman's still up his butt. You know, he comes back, he calls him an impetuous fool because he goes right after and he gets turned to glass. And I kind of left. Um, my notes were then blah, blah, blah. Hal becomes Spectre. That's what I wrote in my notes. Um, I I like that it's a vessel to bring Hal back. I've never been a huge Spectre fan. I've never fully understood the character, but I'm happy that that was a way to somehow bring Hal back. Yeah. Apparently, this was born out of a suggestion made by a fan in the letters oh. page column, uh, where someone wrote in and was like, "Oh, we should have Hal be the Spectre." Because in the in the first letters page of that Spectre series, uh, in the in the the editor uh, is explaining mm. that. So interesting. That's kind of neat. So this is an interesting thing. <clears throat> like yourself, I've never been a Spectre guy. I know there was a very well regarded. Uh, 90s series of uh, the Spectre that I've I've never read. It's always been on my list. Maybe I'll get to it eventually. Uh, most of my experience with the character has been through the pages of JSA. 
Uh, right. I got a little more intrigued when, uh, you know, Crispus Allen from Gotham Central ended up becoming the host because I was a fan yeah. of that character. All that to say, yeah, I've never been that invested in the Spectre, which is part of the reason why I think fusing him with Hal Jordan is kind of clever because that's a way to maybe get someone like myself right, who wouldn't otherwise read Spectre, read it because of Hal. And I think in Day of Judgment, you see the most remorse that we've seen from Hal where he's it's no longer, I'm trying to fix everything. Leave me. It's like, oh, right. I know what I've done. And even when the Spectre is making the various contenders make their case for like yeah. why they deserve to be the Spectre, he's like, I don't deserve to be the Spectre. Yeah. And that humility, right, allows him to be the one. So again, it was different now in retrospect. And now through the retcon of Green Lantern Rebirth, we know the Spectre chose Hal because he recognized the fear entity that had leached onto his soul and was uh, going to take the opportunity to try to burn it out of him. But in the context of that story, I think it's just kind of this cool bit of like, no, he's had this journey. He's been humbled. He's been in purgatory. Yeah. You put it perfectly. I think creative purgatory is a, is a great way to look at it. And now, now he has this shot. So we love J.M. DiMatteis, the writer who, who wrote that 27-issue Spectre series. I don't know a single fan. I've In all the people I've spoken to, and not, not that this necessarily comes up in conversation, but I don't know a single person who has read that Spectre series. Yeah. Have you? Nope. Which maybe is and why I love, got- and I love how I love Al Jordan too. Like big fan of Al Jordan. And that still didn't make me want to read it. So, so this is, a, so I, I will say, I was telling you this off mic. I am going to do an episode of Beyond Metropolis down the line on that Spectre series because it's been on my list forever. Uh, so we, we will hit that. I read the first issue just to yeah. get a feel for it. And it really leans into this whole cosmic spirituality angle. Okay. And Abin Sur is kind of his spirit guy. He's been trapped in hell because of everything that Hal did. And because the way time oh, works weird. in the afterlife, Jeremy Barramy for any good place fans out there, the way time works in the afterlife, uh, he's essentially, you know, paying for the, for the sins that Hal committed. Now I have in the back of my head, I feel like there was later some twist with Abin Sur, like it might not have actually been him but I don't remember, but that's the setup in the first issue. But it's, it's, um, I don't want to say, I don't know if trippy is the right word, but it's definitely not your standard superhero fare. And at the time, I remember buying the first maybe six issues or so, and then I lost interest and I dropped it. Years later, I bought the entire series on eBay, never read it and sold it. <laughs> now, and by the way, it's not available digitally. It's not collected. Well, and that's, that was our curiosity, is that is not always the case, but it is a telling argument sometimes when you can't even find it in a trade or collected anything. Yeah. All the nostalgia. So as far as how I read the first issue, I had to resort to the, the, the means that we have to resort to when it comes to this. It is a, to me it's a shame. It's like, you know, put out a trade, put it out digitally. It's part of how's you know, I maybe I, but you know what actually as I'm saying it, it's like would people buy this? People didn't buy it the first time around. And, right. and my point is this, in my gut, my gut feeling is that there's potential in a Hal Jordan Spectre pairing, right? It brings the hero, it brings him back and it brings him back into heroic territory while right. still being mindful of the dark turn he took, right? And he's atoning for it and he's in this new realm. And it takes a concept like the Spectre that you and fans like you and I maybe wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards. And it merges it with a really familiar superhero face. On paper, it works. Right. But this, the book, as 
to my best of my knowledge, really didn't sell, right? And we got Green Lantern Rebirth. But I don't know, and this is a long-winded way of saying, is it because the concept just wasn't appealing to people? Or was it that the take in that book, in that title, um, didn't work? Maybe. Like, I wonder, is there a version of a Green, of a Hal Jordan Spectre series that would have really grabbed people and would have kept him in that capacity longer? And my, I think there was. I don't know what it was, but I think there was. Well, I think if you look at the tone of Hal Jordan as a Spectre at the beginning of the Rebirth trade, I think if that was explored and was a better bridge from Day of Judgment into Rebirth, we might have found a better successful series. But it is interesting now that I'm thinking about the end of Final Night, as much as Hal is looking to be redeemed, do you remember when he says to Batman, I haven't changed? Yeah. Like... He knows exactly what he did and he's not, again, he's, he's really not saying, yeah, you should forgive me. I did terrible things like he, but he is finding remorse, but like, I think that's why he struggles in the day of judgment series and with Spectre in general, because Spectre is vengeance. Hal is in a state of remorse He's not in that vengeful area anymore. He's already dealt with that. He's already passed that. So I think, I almost think it's making him the specter in this case is moving the character backwards. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I don't, so there was, um, I wish I had this top of mind, but I think it was Jimmy Palmiotti on Twitter not too long ago was tweeting about how he and the late great Darwin Cook had once pitched a book to DC, a specter book. I don't think it was Hal, though. I think it was either Corrigan or someone else, but they had, and DC didn't go for it. And I just bring that up to say, it's like, I don't know, especially on the heels of something like New Frontier. Like, imagine if there had been a a Darwin Cook, Hal Jordan Spectre series that was able to kind of tap into the spirituality side, but also give us enough of the taste of the Hal Jordan that we were more familiar with. It it might've been a different story. That's not what happened, though. And then- uh, we got Green Lantern Rebirth. I mean, I remember when those ads, and they're, they're reprinted in the collected edition, which is cool, but those house yeah. ads and the wizard ads started popping up. Oh, and it was like, yeah. that was big. That was a big deal. Yes, it was. Yeah. Well, and it was also, I think the question was, I remembered, I did not pick it up, actually. Like, I didn't read it until it was collected. Um, I don't know what it was. I think it was 2006. Yeah. So I just had our second daughter. So it might have been a budgetary issue. <laughs> like it might have been I was still getting Superman books, but I'm like, you know what? I gotta wait and not buy as many books as I used to be buying. I eventually got it in collected trade when it was like cheaper to do. But um 2004, October 2004 to May 2005. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so Bell was just born too. So same thing. Um but yeah, I I think when I saw the promotions, I was curious, like, like, how are they going to do this? Like, what is, cause we all, we know what's happened so far. So what do they mean? Rebirth? Are they, is it a reboot or is it legitimate rebirthing him, redeeming him? So, and there's a lot of that too. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I remember being excited. I bought it as it was coming out. I, was probably most excited for the Jeff Johns of it all. Like I was at that point in time, again, like for all the reasons we've talked about, I didn't really have any connection to Hal Jordan. The only connection I had was as 
Parallax right. and the Spectre, really. So the idea of him becoming a Green Lantern, I guess it was intriguing, but I was more curious, like, okay, what is, because at this point, Jeff Johns had revitalized the JSA and Hawkman. He was having this fire run on yes. the Flash, and it's like, well, what is he going to do yeah. with the Green Lantern? Right. And so I read it as it was coming out, and I've reread it. I reread it when we did our our uh, Patreon episode on the Green Lantern movie, and I just reread it for this, and it, man, it really works. Like, it really, yeah. it really works in tying everything together, and- to, to borrow a phrase from earlier, this isn't double talk because I know we've been saying a lot about how I think there's a lot yeah. of value in the authentic journey that Hal Jordan went on as originally intended yeah. throughout the 90s. At the same time, if you're going to bring the character back, yeah. yes, that I don't know. Yeah. And I can be a little hard on Jeff John sometimes. I don't always know why, but anyway. Uh, but, but I think he did this in the best way possible because- what else? And Brad Meltzer wrote the introduction to the to the mm -hmm. collected edition, and he talks about this. It's like you could have, it could have been that he was just replaced by a clone. It could have been you just like completely ignored it. You like any yeah. number of things, but he actually accounted for everything that had happened, just colored differently with the knowledge that Parallax was not a name that he took. It was the the living embodiment of fear that yeah. had influenced him through his ring for a period before Emerald Paras Twilight, uh, a parasite, a parasite, and that eventually yeah. bonded to his soul when he destroyed the central battery, all orchestrated by Sinestro. So even tying in, uh, you know, Hal's iconic adversary. And it wasn't just that Hal was brought back. It was the entire, the core and <laughs> the mythology. And when you see what Johns would go on to do with that run, and oh. for my money, it went and a little too far, but, but still, like he it, built it out so much. It did. I, I, was, I was excited because I recently finally finished the trade collection of the entire Jeff Johns Green Lantern run. That's on my list, like for an upcoming break or summer or something. It's like, I'm just going to go through and tear through all that. Sinestro Core War is one of the best, like balls out kind of like awesome war fighting kind of books. And it's very intriguing. The characters that he introduced that are now we know as actively part of the Green Lantern mythos. Um, you were, you said something that's interesting. Like it is, it's not double talk. I love Green Lantern Rebirth. I don't, like I just said earlier, I could have stopped the final night and, and, and called it there. But if we were going to do something, that's the way you do it. I don't have to like it. It's just done well. Like it's one of those, oh man, I'm, I, I wish I would have thought of something like that. Like it was, <laughs> it's a really good way. It's not cheesy. It's not, um, it actually makes sense. It's like you create something that is there. It's like when you watch Knives Out, okay? When you watch Knives Out until the very, very end of the movie, you don't know what you don't know. And then they go, but you missed this. And then they show you like, oh, that could have, of course, that makes more sense. We didn't see that side. That's the parallax view. Oh, God. See I did? There you go. <laughs> Like, you know, that's the thing as I, so I've been using the term retcon and I mean, it is right. It's, it's it is. going back to these prior stories and coloring them differently and revealing, oh, this is what was going on. But at the same time, yeah. I feel like most often when we get a retcon and of course I'm hard pressed off the top of my head to think of something, but I feel like they're more superficial and they don't, you know, to your point, it's like this, he really took the time to go back and really account for everything in a way that it, it, it was additive rather than just saying, oh, no, this is really what was happening. It's like it went so much yeah. deeper than that, right? 
uh, he accounted for the stories leading up to Emerald Twilight, right? The with the with Parallax influencing him through his ring, going gray early, hitting the road to find himself. That wasn't Hal Jordan. That was Parallax influencing right. him, right? But with this idea of influencing, again, to the credit of Jeff Johns, it wasn't that he was just like outright possessed from the jump. Right. Right. So he was still doing these things, but there was this corrupting influence there. So it he walked a very fine line. I I give him a lot of credit. It's not see like retconning rewrites or ignores. Like that's what's frustrating for many fans when you retcon something or you reboot something. You ignore the past continuity, you ignore what's happened. So I don't think this is retconning. I think it's, again, it's a perspective shift. It's like, okay, but what if, and then it, and that becomes continuity. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really all tracks. And uh, again, the fact that Sinestro was the one that was sort of in, in cahoots with Parallax and yes. wasn't even actually yep. killed, but made it look that way to really push Hal over the edge. The idea that again, it was Hal's heroic nature shining through for that one moment in final night. The fact that yeah. there was more to this, to the specter choosing Hal that he recognized parallax. And, and then the fact that you start rebirth with this war among Hal and the specter and parallax. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, we said this before, but, and Meltzer talked about this in the introduction, it would have been super, super easy to just cast Kyle aside. I mean, unfortunately, I know they found places for him in the books, but it's one of those things. And we've seen this now multiple times, like when, you know, Barry came back, like it, it can be hard to find space for, for everybody, yes. but still, again, it would have been easy to kill Kyle. It would have been easy to really write him out, but they, you know, he's the one who brings Hal's body back from the sun. He's the one who yeah. learned about the true nature of parallax. And you get that moment with the two of them standing eye to eye. Uh, it's a, it's a great, like that handshake is a, such a great moment. I remember, re, I mean, we were all talking about that at the comic shop at the time. And just this idea of like, man, what a nice touch that was. Well, and you know, there was such a push to here's old Hal Gray, young new Green Lantern. Now, Hal's kind of badass, young again, virile again with like another, it's, it's more like, it's not a old grandpa, young guy. Now it's pretty equal ground like hey i'm Hal. oh hi i'm kyle like it's now evil it's even yeah and there, there are a lot of nice touches i mean green arrow's frustration over what hal you know whether he says this or he's thinking at this idea of like you know everything was taken from Hal, like his reputation was ruined like he was put through this hell like he's there to help his friend uh you know there's you know kyle gets his due when sinestro tells Hal, i'm gonna kill the alley rat and and Hal's like you know, like you show him some respect like he carried the torch when no one else could uh, and the thing I got, well, no, go ahead. I was say there's the Batman and the John of it all. There's the Batman just still like, Nope, I don't care what y'all say. Nope. And, and John just going like, what is your deal? And then finally, when John realizes, Oh, I know what your deal is. You're pissed at Hal never bought into you. Batman even goes so far as to suspect that Hal pursued the power of the specter as a plot. Yeah. To gain more power. And the thing is, from Batman's perspective, after everything he's seen, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've only seen, even when I think Hal saves the entire planet at the end of Final Night, he can barely still admit, like, well, you know, well, I guess he did a good thing. It's like, oh, dude, dude, he just saved everybody. <laughs> but I, it just, he, he won't give it up. He even says at the end of Final Night, don't make a martyr out of a murderer. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, all of that, all of that track. 
I'll say, I guess the last, and I know, look, we, we could have easily done an entire episode on Green Lantern Rebirth, but at the same time, right. that's been covered a lot. I really, I'm glad we focused where we did, because to me, that's kind of the more interesting aspect of all of this. But I will say, I think Green Lantern Rebirth gave me two moments that I think really shaped the way I see the character of Hal Jordan. And one is when Hal is reliving the moment where he saw his father's plane go down and he's like, when your worst yeah. fear happens in front of your eyes, there's nothing left to be afraid of, which I thought, again, just added some layers to this where it's not like, oh, he's not just fearless. It's like he's lived his worst fear. So this led him to to what he is. And then this moment, man, I got like, I got a little choked up as I was reading it when they're having the final confrontation with Parallax. Parallax oh. is like, give up. Like you can't beat it. me. And he goes, I, I don't know how. Yeah. And it's just like, man, like that's the character. Well, and the reason I love that too, is because as crazy as it might sound, even when Hal was psychotic, he didn't, he refused to give up. He's like, I'm going to make everything right again. I will not give up. I don't know how to stop this. I'm going to make this happen. So yeah, he, even when it wasn't great, he was relentless. But now when he's back to being who he needs to be, he's going to be relentless also. Absolutely. What else about Green Lantern Rebirth or anything that we've talked about? uh, Did you want to touch on before we sign off here? Honestly, man, I think that was it. I, I, I really, I just enjoyed the tone of Rebirth. I think that was, I, I, I've always liked Jeff John's writing. Um, I've not liked what he's done necessarily always with TV and film. I don't, I don't think he's been given the kind of control maybe that he had with writing the books. But as far as Rebirth, I, I said earlier, I think he did a really good job course correcting to give Hal a true rebirth, to have him still be in continuity and find a way to make everything he did that was wrong somehow right. There was a a tweet recently from Spider-Man writer Dan Slott. I know people have some strong opinions Mm -hmm. in both directions with respect to him. Uh, I've not really read enough of his work to to have an opinion, but I saw this tweet and it was just interesting to me. It was in the context of Spider-Man, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, like, each generation wants their characters to age with them, <laughs> but each generation deserves to meet the character in their prime. That was the spirit yeah. of it. Now, this is a different, a little different discussion because this isn't just that, oh, Hal got older and got married and had kids. It's like, no, he became this villainous murderer, big bad of the DC yeah. universe. But I still have had that in my head as I've been going through all of this Hal Jordan material where, again, I think you and I have found found something worthwhile in the villainous turn that he took as perhaps mm. despite how awkwardly it unfolded in certain instances, but there, that the idea of him as this DC villain with this history, with the characters, like there's, there was something there, but then is there not something to this other argument of, and maybe why we ultimately got something like rebirth where, you know, he had that time and now we get to restore him to the glory that, that he was before and bring back all these other aspects of the mythology. And now you can have a whole new generation because this is the other thing that I keep thinking about. There are the generations before you and me who grew up with, I mean, some who grew up with Alan Scott, but right before us, yeah. right, who grew up with Hal Jordan, who were probably 
less than thrilled with the turn that happened in yeah. the nineties. Then there are people like in our age group, roughly who grew up with Kyle, who probably don't mind, or maybe even like Hal as parallax, but then, and not to sound like an old man, but it's like, again, we're talking Grand Lantern rebirth almost 20 years ago. So like now you have a whole new contingent of fans who, whose Green Lantern is Hal Jordan, not from the 60s and 70s and 80s, from yeah. Rebirth and Jeff Johns forward. Yeah. It's interesting, too. Jeff writes a few things into the book where you say, like, Hal in his prime. Not many people can say they've knocked Batman on his ass. Yeah. And and I think he, he just unloads, like, one kablamo and puts him down. And I think Guy was like, you see that? One punch. And it's a great callback too to when Batman punches a guy right in the face, knocks him out. But we're seeing a strong virile I'm back, Hal Jordan. And it's not old man Hal. It's let's go kind of Hal. So I think I think it was a cool way to reboot the rebirth. Yeah, and I and all this talk too that, that Hal gives about, I can finally think clearly. You know, I'm not being doubted and questioned, right, by these competing yes. forces in his head. So there's even this element, like as he's meeting Kyle, like they've had so many interactions, but Kyle's never really met the real Hal. And kind of in right. a similar way for me as a reader at the time, I had never really met the real Hal Jordan, right? I didn't know it at the time, <laughs> but yeah. similar sort of thing. So it, it just reinvigorated the character and the franchise. And like I said- I have, I've read the entire Jeff Johns run. I had fallen way behind, but I had, just like you had all the books on my shelf. And the summer after I graduated law school and took the bar exam, once the bar was done, I took the rest of that summer and I read the entire thing. And there was so much about it that I liked, but we did, once we got into the point of all of the the various uh, core factions and the different colors and the blackest night, uh, like I, after a while I sort of checked out, but the beginning part of it, I always look at fondly. And even if that run as a whole is still not, like, oh, my all-time favorite run. Again, I think in terms of what Rebirth opened the door to here and in other adaptations, which hopefully will oh, yeah. continue to, they'll continue to, to build that out. I know the one movie we got left a lot to be desired, but but in any event, uh, I think there's, there's a lot that Rebirth was able to put back on the board uh, while still honoring what came before. So uh, it's uh, quite, man, from Emerald Twilight to Rebirth, quite a, quite a ride. <laughs> you know, and Donna DC has rebooted Green Lantern. Um, the tone of that book is really strong. Um, so if you're listening now and you love the character Green Lantern, you love Hal Jordan, Grant Morrison took him for a little bit of a turn there in that Intergalactic Lawman series. It was very, very different. Um, a little more like a, almost like a crime series, a little bit. Uh, the, the new series really harkens back to what I think Jeff points out a lot in Rebirth, like that purity, that fearless, but also very much in tune with his friends and who he cares about. So I think it's worth checking out. Nice. That That is on the list. You know, I wish I had sort of a, an overall thesis to make about this, Hal Jordan's journey. But ultimately, I just keep coming back to some of these questions that I don't know that I've really come to an answer on other than it's, again, I think a fascinating case study. Right. In, mm -hmm. in a very kind of singular instance of a character who went through what this character did largely through events uh, under the pen of different, multiple different creators uh, yeah. without any sort of plan or escape hatch, but rather right. just these other stops along the way. And 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, how do I put, you know what, this is coming to me in the moment, so bear with me, but I feel like there was, oh, perfect uh, uh, choice of words here. There's only so much runway available mm -hmm. for that iteration of Hal Jordan. Like he, like they kept finding some new ground for him, right? Especially yeah. with the Spectre. But even that we saw didn't catch on and for whatever reason, but it's like, you know, how, how much more runway was there? I think there was sort of a built-in point where either he's just off the board yeah, or he's restored. And so I think we got in that 10 years, like a really good or bad, a really interesting <laughs> journey. And then I think sooner or later we would have needed something like rebirth. And I'm glad that it was Jeff Johns who was able to do it. Cause like, again, I think mm -hmm. he, he made the, the most out of the, the pieces that he had. I don't know where, where do you land ultimately with all of this? A very similar. I think it's, it's a good case study, a good case study of us to look at a character who's really had something done to him that no other character we could name has had done in that amount of time. And that kind of shift without a gradual build, but a sudden shift. But like we talked about over the course of tonight is it makes sense based on what happened. It's, it's not a good thing to do to a character that you care for, but it makes sense. Um, Jeff Johns does, I think, a really good job of infusing new life into not damaged necessarily characters, but maybe maybe groups or characters that need to be revitalized in a new time frame and a new era. And he does a really good job through the use of artists he pairs with. And I think also just the way he uh, he gets to the core of who they are as a character and brings that to light instead of any other subplot. And I think I think he does a good job. Agreed. Agreed. Well, listen, thank you for joining me for our our maiden voyage here in the Supermobile <laughs> to Coast City. Uh, it was great to to kind of spread our wings a little bit and and dive into a different DC character. So I thank you very much uh, for joining me for this, Bernie. Yeah, man, it's always fun to talk to you. Awesome. Well, thank you to everyone for tuning in. And Beyond Metropolis will continue with all new episodes on my Patreon page every month. Until then, it's about what you do. It's about action. To hear new episodes of Beyond Metropolis every month, be sure to head on over to patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato and sign up at the DC tourist level or higher. Digging for Kryptonite will be back with an all new episode next week.